We get to finish up our series on community, and um, the last one I get to do, and I want to start off by saying, have you ever watched the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding? You know, I, I don't know about you, but it's my wife and I, my wife Jen and I, it's one of our favorite movies because we come from totally different cultural families of origin. I mean, it's like night and day from my house to her house. And so we watched the second one too, but you know the main character, Tula Portokalas, right? She comes from this big, gigantic, tight-knit, extended Greek family, and all their names are Nikki and Nicholas and, you know, Nikolai, all those things, right? And, 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 the, and the mother and the father, they're all like, you're going to marry a Greek Orthodox man, right? And what does she wind up doing? She falls in love with this Anglo-Saxon Protestant man with, like, no siblings, you know, and just, like, three of them. And, and then the story goes on from there. And the father, his name is Gus. And, and, and all throughout the, the movie he's going, give me any word, any word, and I'll show you how it comes from the Greek. You know? And then at the end, in the, in their, in the, the uh, final words that he says in a speech at their wedding, he shares these words. He says, you know, the Greek word of the groom's last name, Miller, comes from Milo, which is mean apple. And you know our name, Portokalis, comes from Portokali, which means oranges. And so here tonight you have apples and oranges. We're all different, but you know what he says? But in the end, we're all the, we're all what? We're all fruit. We're all different, but in the end, we're all fruit. Now, as simple sounding as that is, right, as profound as it is in, in Greek Greek culture, I mean, it is so true that we're all different, yet we have so many similarities. And you don't have to, to be Greek to, to enjoy the movie because I think the storyline is so compelling, right? It just sucks you in because all of us, matter if we're born in the United States, right, we're, we all have different family cultures, don't we? That your family's different than the, the, the family that you're with, you know, your, your spouse, and it's just, it's so... Uh, a compelling movie just sucks you right in. And so why do I start out that way? Because living life in community is messy. It is. But God has put us in community and relationships and the people that we were, were hanging around just now for a reason. He does that. He orchestrates this, this on purpose so that we might draw closer to him. And so as we close out our series on community today, right, a place to belong, this community, my theme is this. Community is unity and diversity. Unity and diversity. So I want you to think about how exactly did the first Christian churches form? Who comprised those Christian churches? That were, that's what we're going we're gonna to delve into today. And if you think about it, there was so much diversity. There was so much fighting. There was so much disagreement. There were so many cultural classes, clashes. It's all over the book of Acts. Yet in this unity in Jesus, it surpassed all of that diversity. So what do we have in common with one another? I often uh, start this way, especially sometimes it happens when I have spiritual conversations with people within the first five minutes. Sometimes it takes two weeks. You know, I, I don't know, but when, when we have conversations and the, 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 the topic of religion comes up, right? And finally, I, I have some ability. That I've listened to them. They're listening to me. I say, you know what? You weren't born Lutheran. You weren't born Catholic, you weren't born Baptist, you weren't born Buddhist, you weren't born Muslim, or you weren't born Hindu. You were born a sinner. You were born a sinner, just like me. 
that we fall short of the glory of God. That's what God's word says. In Romans 3, there's no difference. That's what it says. There's no difference. All have what? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In the book of Ecclesiastes 7.20, it says, There's not a righteous person on earth, not one, who does what is right all the time, right? And never sins. 1 John 1.8 says it so clearly, right? If you say you have no sin, you what? Deceive your own self. And the truth is not in you. That's what unifies us is our sinful condition. What unites is sin. We do wrong things. We think bad thoughts. The, the good that we, we want to do, we don't do, right? That's why you're at church. That's why I'm at church. To confess those sins, to receive God's forgiveness. What unites is sin. But when we believe in the one who saved us from our sin, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, there's even a stronger bond. That happens with each other even stronger sometimes than close physical family. Christian community is unity in diversity. Because we are unified in our gratefulness to Jesus who saved us. Aren't we? We're unified with one another that way. And in whatever ways we're different, our faith bond is stronger than all that physical diversity that we have. We have this spiritual unity. And we're going to find that in the book of Acts. So I want you to open to Acts chapter 16. On your devices or on the Bibles we have, or if you brought your own Bible, that would be awesome. Acts 16, and we're going to be smack dab in the middle of the history of our Christian church, right in the middle of Acts. And lots of things have happened already before this time, and lots of things are going to happen after. But we're right in the middle of Paul's, what we call his missionary journeys throughout a lot of countries. And I want you to look up here before you look in the book of Acts. I want you to just check out this map of the, the, the church here. If like the epicenter of the gospel is Jerusalem, right, it goes north up into Lebanon and up into Syria and then all the way to the west here is this country that's kind of big. I looked at it uh, just recently, Turkey. I didn't realize geographically how big Turkey was. And then I look at all these names like Smyrna and Phrygia and and Pergamum, all these names that you'll find in the book of Revelation, these like seven churches of, of, of Revelation, all in Turkey. Then it goes across the Mediterranean over to Greece and up through Greece, up north into Europe. That's what's happening in the book of Acts, and we're going to be smack dab in the middle of when the church starts in Philippi, which is modern-day Macedonia, and we're going to see a diverse group of people. When we read this together, uh, I want you to think about Lydia, who's this businesswoman who's probably an immigrant to where she's placed in, in, in Philippi, and then you're going, to, you're going to see about this exploited slave girl, and then this Roman jailer who's like a government employee of Rome, and they're all diverse, socially, culturally, nationally, by social class, it's all diverse, but they all need a Savior in Jesus. And then God meets those needs in very different ways, intellectually and powerfully and morally, and we're going to look at this story. And it almost sounds like a joke, right? What, what do a wealthy businesswoman, an exploited slave girl, and a rough Roman jailer have in common? Well, we're going to find out in the book of Acts. They're going to be the first community in Philippi. Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 12. We traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. We stayed there for several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira, which is western Turkey. So she's an immigrant named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God, but then the Lord opened her heart. The Lord opened her heart to respond 
to Paul's message. When she and the members of her whole household were baptized, she invited us to her home. She said, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. You can imagine the hospitality and the culture of those days, right? She persuaded. I mean, they're persuasive people. You're going to come, you're going to stay, and I'm going to feed you. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money from her owners by fortune tell- for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. I don't know about you, but have you ever had somebody that mocked your Christian faith? I mean, think about that, right? And they were thinking about it, and they were saying it out loud. These, these men are the, you know, it's the truth, but it's mocking, right? She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that they turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. The magistrate ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods after they had been severely flogged. Severely flogged. They were thrown into prison. The jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. What were they doing? Praying and what? Singing. They're praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were, what were they doing? Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer Woke up, when we saw the prison doors, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. And not only that, he would get the consequence of whatever that prisoner who escaped would get. So if that prisoner was going to die, guess what? He's going to die too. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your whole household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. All at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household, skip to verse 40. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, where'd they go? To Lydia's house, the first Christian church, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Brothers and sisters, diverse as they are, and then they left. What a true story. Lots of characters. What a movie this would have made, right? Let me comment on a couple things as we think about this unity and diversity. First and foremost, the good news of Jesus, right? goes to all sorts and conditions of people, to rich people, right, to poor people, to Gentiles, to to Jews, to to, uh, demon-possessed, to powerful. And the gospel then erases all those, like, previously important social distinctions, doesn't it? That's what the gospel does. Faith 
unites. And what I also find fascinating about this story is that each of these people, guess what? God is so gracious that the gospel meets them in a particular way that they needed to be met. Lydia, she's moved by Paul's intellectual teaching, right? The slave girl by being freed from a demon. I mean, who wouldn't? And, and then the jailer, right? By this powerful, only God, like, like super phenomenal event about this earthquake. God's so good that he knows exactly and loves people so much what to do to draw everyone to himself. So I want you to think about this for a moment. Just think about Lydia. Okay, Lydia. She's the first Christian convert in Europe. That's what she is. A woman convert in Europe. I mean, prior to this, these verses in verse 9, we see that Paul gets this vision of a Macedonian man at night. He gets this vision and saying, come over here. And I think this bit of church history is personally, uh, not I think, I know, is, is near and dear to my heart because I was a missionary to Bosnian people in St. Louis for six years. And I got to travel to this area, the Balkans. I got to go to Croatia. I got to go to Bosnia. I got to go not to Macedonia but to Serbia, just north of Macedonia. And, and I have a Macedonian neighbor who we buy Burek from for years. And I can hear this Macedonian neighbor saying, Doji vamo, doji vamo, which means come over here. And it's just, it's, it's personally near the story is because uh, it reminds me of a time when I was in that part of the world where I got lost. And Paul and Silas, they were kind of lost. They were, they were expecting to find a prayer place. They go out of the city gate. They had no idea where they were going. They were lost just like me. I'm lost in Bosnia. There's no street signs. I show up to this, this, uh, this restaurant. It happened to be a Chinese restaurant. A Chinese woman, you know, greets me. You know, uh, and she says, Dobrodošli, that means welcome in Yugoslavia. And, like, and she starts speaking Slavic, and I'm speaking Slavic. Izvini, that means, excuse me, Gideye, where is it? I'm lost. And then I say, Kako, how? How do you know this? How do you know this language? You know, I'm it's a Filipino speaking to a Chinese woman <laughs> in Macedonia, not Macedonia, but in Bosnia. How in the world? You know, it was so diverse, and she said she married a Bosnian man, and they started this business here because apparently Bosnians like Chinese food. Who doesn't, right? It's so good. And that's where we were. And I see the Paul as a missionary. He's got his missionary buddies, Silas, Luke maybe is along. Who else is along? I don't know. And they come, and they go outside the city gate. They run into these women. In Lydia, they meet a widow, most likely, because the husband's not mentioned. She probably has her her husband's lucrative purple dye business. Why is that so important? One of the commentaries I read said, there's a little shellfish that if you just cut the blood vessel out of the neck and you get one drop, it is so expensive. The cheaper purple dye stuff, you just crush the shellfish. So, so she's got this expensive business, this lucrative business, selling purple because purple is a sign of what? Wealth. Right? That's what Romans, all these retired generals that are general, retired military men living in Philippi, they got the money, they love the purple, and that's how she's making her business. And then Paul says, she's a worshiper of God. And then Paul says, I'm going to tell you that God came in the flesh, in the person of Jesus. The Holy Spirit opens up her heart to believe Paul's message. The whole family, did you get that? The whole household. That means she's a rich businesswoman that probably has slaves and free people and her own kids and, you know, young and old. They're all baptized. Bam. The first Christian church in Europe. 
Let's talk about not only Lydia, but what about this exploited slave girl, right? Demon-possessed. Talk about diversity. Fortune teller. I mean, you go around our community, you ever see those, those little businesses that are still around today, right? Can, can we read your palm? or do? I mean, they're everywhere still. And she's making lots of money for her owners. And what I find interesting is, is a repeated theme in the New Testament is this, that the demons have this ability to recognize who Jesus truly is even before his own followers. And that's what's being displayed here. And Paul gets so annoyed, right, at this mocking. That he says, I command you, right? Demon, which, which in the Greek, it's really a python spirit. That's what, that's what she, she had, the spirit of divination. Come out. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what happened, but we can kind of imagine, right? Can you imagine she becomes free of this demon. She's no longer doing this, right? She has nowhere to go. Where's she going to go? To Lydia's house. Can you imagine Lydia welcoming her in? I can imagine that. That she didn't have to persuade that slave girl so much. But she's there. This first Christian church in Philippi. God is so good. He loves the whole world, doesn't he? That he draws people to himself from all walks of life. Think about this, this prison, this Roman jailer, this warden of this prison, right? One of the best examples, I think, of how the gospel really reaches and unifies a community of believers in this diversity. The jailer. So I was a, a city employee for... For 10 years for the city of St. Louis, he's an employee of Rome, the most powerful empire in the known world, right? He's probably a retired military guy. He's got the keys. He's powerful. He's free. Certainly not acting like a free person, is he? He's free. But Paul and Silas, they're locked up. They're singing songs, right? They're praying. It's amazing to me that even when their chains break free, Paul and Silas, they don't even run away. The chaos that happens, right? It's the middle of the night. I mean, can you imagine the jailer before he fell, fell asleep? He's hearing these prayers to God. He's hearing the hymns to God. He's saying, man, this God must be powerful. The gods that they believe in, I mean, powerful enough to break chains off and set them free. And they're not leaving. And the jailer then asked Paul this very important question, yet it's a flawed question. He asked this question, sirs, what must I do? What must I do to be saved? I mean, it's an important question because every single person on the face of the earth has to know this, right? What must I do to be saved? Because eternity depends on it. But it's a flawed question. It's a flawed question because by nature, we all assume that we must do something to be right with God. I don't want to make myself right with God. But as one of your pastors, I hope you all know the answer to this question. Nothing, nothing you can do. Jesus did everything. Amen? Believe. Yes, Paul says believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But don't you know, faith is a gift. I mean, it's the one by the power of the Holy Spirit that opened Lydia's heart. The Lord opened Lydia's heart to believe. And so you, your heart is open. My heart is open. By the power of the Holy Spirit, all of us can say this. Let's say it together. I believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If you say that and you say it with conviction and you believe it, guess what? The Holy Spirit has already worked in your heart and given you that gift of faith and given you that gift of repenting for your sins, saying, I'm a sinner, I need saving. Just like the jailer, just like Lydia, just like the slave girl. 
It's unbelievable. Then Paul and Silas go home, right, and get to explain, guess what? This Jesus lived a perfect life for you. He died a perfect death on the cross for your sins. He rose again so that everyone in the world who believes in him would have eternity waiting. And so this jailer, and I want you to think about this, okay? Think about what happened that night. There were actually two washings that night. There was a physical and a spiritual. The physical, right? The jailer washes the wounds of Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas wash away the spiritual wounds of that jailer and his whole family. Sins washed away. All of them united in Jesus. All tribes, all cultures, all this diversity, all connected to one promise, united that Jesus alone saves. It's amazing to me to see this unity that this early Christian church had in this community of people so diverse, right? Just like that big fat Greek wedding, we're not the same, right? We're all fruit. I mean, praise God. We're all sinners and we're all united by Jesus. And this bond that we have surpasses all that diversity. Amen? All right. To close out this series, I want to highlight um, a small group initiative. I'm going to ask, would you welcome Dale? Dale, would you welcome him? Say praise God for Dale. Thank you, Dale, for coming. I want to invite Dale up because we have this tool, and I don't know if you knew this or not, but, well, before I... Yeah, I'll do this first. So Dale, have a seat. Did I get a mic? Why don't you grab a mic there and I'll help you turn it on. But this, this thing called Alpha is a tool that over 200 of you have already gone through in the fall of last year. 14 small group leaders were trained. And it's, it's a privilege that we can, through this, uh, have just spiritual discussions. It's a way to do that with people in our community that are kind of not close to Jesus, maybe don't know him, maybe fell away from the church, whatever that is. And Dale didn't know if you realize this or not, but he was not born a Lutheran, but born in this community and baptized in 1982 in the chapel uh, over here, gone for a little bit, but he's been around for 20 years. And, and I remember uh, years ago when he was just a, a younger man, uh, still a young man, but he used to do magic shows for all the, the kiddos, uh, at upward celebrations that we had, you know. Um, and it was just a, a great uh, experience to see him do these yes. things. I'd be like, wow, how did you do that, Dale? In fact, you probably inspired my one son, Ryan, uh, to do magic tricks, too. So it's, it's been great. So, Dale, yeah, thank I'm you sure. for being here. And I want you to just share with uh, everybody online and, and the people here. Uh, you are a leader of one of these groups, these alpha groups. And I want you to tell uh, them just kind of the diversity that's in your own group. Uh, wide range of ages. Uh, we have someone in their late 60s. Someone who's my age, uh, so we have a lot of common, um, and then someone who's like late forties, and also uh, just so that gives different experiences that people have, different stories. Also, the spiritual background is different too, like their upbringing, uh, um, more like religious upbringing, more or less uh, religious upbringing, more of like a um, like a journey through like new age and all that, and kind of like an up and down versus. Maybe some of our just, you know, just kind of like this. So through that diversity, uh, we have these interesting conversations and eye-openers and different perspectives also, including me. So it's just amazing. 
I love it. You know, for, for me, uh, I got to do and lead my first Alpha group. Almost done with it, kind of took a pause, but I get to do it with such diverse guys that are Spanish-speaking and one Iraqi man, and guess what they all do? Yeah, they play soccer. So uh, I get to do that. It's so diverse. And, and Dale, you know, the diversity that he was telling me about in his group is just amazing that I don't know about you, but what do you think, I'll share after you speak, what, what's the most exciting thing about leading a group? Um, the eye openings. For me, um, an opportunity to listen, um, you know, especially for me as the, the leader, um, it's just God makes me realize that it's a blessing to listen. It's a blessing to sit back and watch the Holy Spirit teach through discussion. Take yourself out of the equation, facilitate the discussion, and then just watch the Holy Spirit work. He is the teacher. So it's just amazing for me and amazing to see the eyes opening and just the, the conversations that happen. You know, they're like, wow, okay, that came out of that little question. That was awesome. And so that's... Uh, for me, that's amazing. So I don't know if you caught that, but he said one important word that pastors don't really do well. Do well. So let me tell you, if you decide to do this, to lead an alpha group, you're going to do better than me. Because pastors like to talk. He said to listen, right? Listen with the two ears God gave you, not the one mouth. And so as you listen, the Holy Spirit fills your heart with, oh, and you just keep to have a, a relationship going, you know. If I lead a group, oh, pastor, what do you say about this? Because you're the authority. Eh, you know, not good for me to do that, right. It's better for you guys to sit and listen. And so Dale gets to do that. And so um, another question, how difficult is this to do? Well, you tell, tell us what you do, actually. It's not difficult at all, really. Uh, just need a place to have the Alpha. I have it in my house. Uh, they provide all the resources for you. Um, They're free, by the way. Yes, yes, yeah. You can look them up. On, I, do, I do it on my phone. Everything's there. It's easy to sign up. No big deal. Um, and then once you do, you, you know, you name your alpha. They have it scheduled. They have what's coming up on your, on your alpha screen. You have series materials that you can look at. They give you jokes, you can tell. <laughs> They uh, have training for you. So they set it up. So just really, you just, hey, you going to do this? Have your house. And then you have the video. By the way, the videos are easy to download. They have all different formats. You download it. You got the stuff right there. You got a TV. You play it. You have a discussion. Really, it's not hard at all. And, and the most important part is let me know if you want to do this because I'll, I'll guide you to those resources. Call the church office. And, and the, the, the beauty of it is that if we know Autumn is, is helping out, Dave Frank, we, we pray. And Lindsay Hodge, we pray for your alpha group. And then I get to meet with Dale and we get to talk about, hey, how's it going? You know, any questions? And so that connection is there. And then he goes out and does it. And as the outreach pastor around here, it amazes me to see how God works through these alpha groups. To bring in new people. And I mean, yes, it's a little terrifying, right? But, but in, in, and I'll just say it this way, would you do it again? Or ask this, would you do it again? Uh, yes, definitely. Um, and just through prayer, as this whole thing, my Alpha group started through prayer and just waiting on the Holy Spirit, being still, and just, um, just an, an urge of, um, yes, I want to do this. Let me pray about it, be still, and let the Holy Spirit work. And then now I got the Alpha group. I'm watching him work again, so it's awesome. Amen. You know, so like for me, right? God, 
who would you want me to just ask this question to? Huh, who's around? What do I do? Oh, I play soccer. Who are these young men? Okay, I just ask. And if they say no, they say no. It's not God's time, right? But at least uh, as the Holy Spirit leads you in prayer to say, yeah, I think I might want to do this, and I have this friend. You know, if that's kind of being uh, urged on in your heart right now, give me a call. Send me an email, tbows at faithtroy.org. Be happy to listen. It just, it, it just gives me the motivation to continue to do this because God is powerful. He works and he wants to get out that, you know, just use us as his tool and his hands and feet to reach out uh, to people that are so diverse. So we pray that happens. Dale, thanks so much for talking to us.